Hi, I'm Matt Pratton, and I'm the Senior Regional Analyst for Europe here at Intelligence Fusion. Today, I'll be providing a briefing on the Ukraine-Russia conflict in the Donbass region, and I'll break it down into three parts. I'll provide a brief overview of the conflict, a recent look at what's been happening lately and point out some SIGACs or significant activities, and then finish up with some key insights and key takeaways. Before I get into that, though, if you like our content, please hit like, share and subscribe in order to keep up to date with our, late, with our latest work. Well, so to provide a, a very quick overview of what's been happening in the Donbass region. In March 2014, Russia invaded the Crimean Peninsula and the Donbass region of Ukraine uh, through the use of its own military through the use of the Wagner Group mercenaries, which uh, if, you've been, if you've checked some of our previous episodes, they've got to mention. Also through the use of supporting pro-Russia uh, separatist groups based in the region. Now, at the time, Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed it was done in, in the name of protecting Russian-speaking populations in those areas due to some, uh, wide, uh, due to some long-standing issues at the time. However, there is, of course, more to it than that. But looking into the strategic importance of the Donbass region and the Crimean Peninsula, that's a completely different brief. Now, the conflict has seen quite a bit of damage to the region, especially towards its infrastructure. And because of the fallout of what's been happening since 2014, uh, various ceasefire agreements known as the Minsk Accords were drawn uh, were drawn up uh, with an aim of, first of all, creating a ceasefire, then allowing a withdrawal of weapons. Uh, and this was done with a view to eventually end the conflict. But in reality, all that's really happened is it's created a stalemate in the region that features uh, frequent ceasefire violations as well as violations of the withdrawal line set in the various agreements. Now, to have a look at what's been happening, and to do this, I've got a filter set up on, on our platform uh, looking at incidents after the 10th of December. The significance, the significance of that date is essentially looking at incidents after a picture intelligence summary were released a while ago or pick in some. So looking at what's been happening since our last report. Now, to sum up what's been going on is we've continued to see incidents of direct weapons, uh, bombings, indirect weapons, as well as air incidents of air assets. And to sum up the activity, there's probably a few themes I could point out. First of all, ceasefire violations. The trend of ceasefire violations tends to occur to the northwest of Donetsk City, usually between Avdivka and Yasnovata. And the other major area of activity when it comes to ceasefire violations is down to the south, uh, just to the north of Mariupol, usually between Vodyan, Leninsk and Pekuzi. Now, when it comes to these uh, various ceasefire violations, what tends to be the case is that it's usually various infantry units engaging each other's positions through the use of small arms fire, uh, firing of heavy machine guns, use of grenade launchers, and also the use of mortars, both uh, 82mm and 120mm calibre mortars. Then there is various withdrawal violations. Now, reporting continues to mention that both sides have been violating the withdrawal lines set out, amongst, uh, set out by the various agreements. Now, Essentially, the major ones we've noticed are there's been various instances of armour, artillery and anti-aircraft assets being sighted uh, both in Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. And from what we can tell, both sides appear to be bringing in various assets into the region. 
a more a, a newer trend we've been noticing actually as well is the hindering of monitoring missions throughout the Donbass region. The reports published by the OSCE in Ukraine have indicated frequent efforts to hinder their asset, uh, hinder their activities by both sides, especially when they try to conduct ISR missions or intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance missions through their UA, with their UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles. There's been quite a few occasions where their UAVs have been subject to uh, signal interference, interference, which has been assessed to be uh, from electronic jamming, and there's even been indication instances where uh, where their UAVs have even been shot at. And from what we can tell, with all these various efforts to hinder their hinder their monitoring, is that both sides are trying to conceal what they're up to. Finally, notice quite a few instances of landmines and weapons caches. Uh, both sides continue to lay landmines across the region, both anti-personnel and anti-tank mines. And furthermore, there's been instances of Ukrainian law enforcement coming across weapons caches being found in the area. Now, based on the imagery from those reports, these weapons caches have been in place for quite some time, and tend to be uh, uh, tend to be caches that include lots or uh, quite a few uh, explosives, uh, grenades, TNT, anti-armor weapons, etc. And the condition of those various uh, those various explosives, they tend to be in very poor condition, indicating that they've been there for quite some time. So they don't really pose much of a threat in the way of actually being used as grenades or anti-armor weapons anymore, but they do pose a threat as explosive remnants of war. Now to look at some recent significant activities, or SIGACs. The first one I'd like to point out is on the 15th of December 2020, where the Ukrainian MOD signed an agreement with the Turkish to acquire various new assets, which included UAVs. Now, from what we can tell, this would possibly mean that the Ukrainians would be able to acquire the Bayraktar TB2 UAV. Now, this asset has been proven to be very effective in other theatres, especially in Libya, uh, where I worked for quite uh, for a, a period of time. And from what I noticed of this particular asset is that while it is uh, very effective as an ISR asset, it also doubles over as a very effective close air support uh, capability. And on the 18th of December 2020, came across reporting of seven BM-27 Urahan MBRLs being sighted in Rabizhny, Luhansk Oblast. Now, these assets were sighted at the Rabizhny Railway Station, an area under Ukrainian control. Previously, we've only seen this asset sighted on the Russian side of the conflict. Now, the... BM-27 Urahan can fire high-explosive 220mm rockets at area targets up to 34 kilometers or 21 miles away. It's a larger-scale version of the BM-21 Grad Launcher, and there's plenty of those already throughout the region on both sides. With its range, just from Rabizhny itself, this asset could fire well into Russian-held territory. But, of course, it's not going to remain in Rabizhny for long. There are other locations it would be more useful in. So wherever it gets moved to, it's going to be able to fire up to 21 miles away, deep into Russian lines. From the 17th to the 19th of December 2020, came across reports of multiple 2S7 Pion self-propelled artillery guns being sighted in Pokrovsk in Donetsk Oblast. These assets also appear to be Ukrainian but they do not appear to have been sighted anywhere else in the region at this time. Now, this self-propelled artillery gun fires 203mm rounds uh, with a range of 375 kilometres or 23 miles 
or with the use of rocket-assisted projectiles, it can fire at targets up to 47.5 kilometres away or 29 miles. Now, this artillery platform appears to have the longest range of any weapon system in the region at the moment. And from that location itself, the 2S7 Pion could reach the front lines of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Now, of course, this asset is not going to be positioned in that town for long. With it being a mobile asset, it'll be quickly moved to areas where it can be effectively utilised. And wherever it is moved to, it will therefore be able to engage targets between 37 uh, 37 kilometres or 23 miles, or depending on the ammunition, could engage up to 47.5 kilometres or 29 miles. Effectively, wherever that asset gets placed, anything within range could essentially be targeted with 203mm rounds. Effectively, whatever this thing fires at, it's going to cause significant damage to whatever it hits. A little further south, on the 23rd of January 2021, came across reports of what appears to be an infantry fighting vehicle or APC, uh, armed personnel carrier, firing rounds near Bodanivka in Donetsk Oblast. Now, reporting indicated a ceasefire violation that included the use of multiple rounds of 30mm cannon fire. Now, when we took a look at that particular calibre of ammunition and what weapon systems fire that particular ammunition, it led us to assess that this could have either been from a BMP variant uh, infantry fighting vehicle or a BTR APC or armoured personnel carrier. Now, this particular asset, it's the mention of it in the region, it isn't new. It's, you know, the, given the war footing, that, given the war situation that's occurring, this particular asset, there's lots of them around the region on both sides. However, reports to, uh, reporting on ceasefire violations rarely mention the use of this particular asset. So what we can tell for at the moment is this particular incident uh, would appear to be an escalation of force. So, with all of that in mind, what are the insights? First of all, the Donbass region is currently a hostile environment. And this region features threats posed by small arms fire, uh, indirect fire from mortars, uh, communication issues due to electronic warfare, as well as landmines and UXOs. And this mainly stems from the stalemate situation we've been tracking for quite some time. And that's due to, and it's most likely to occur in areas that are to the northwest of Donetsk City and also down to the south uh, to uh, near Mariupol area. But those are the main areas. Of course, the ceasefire violations occur pretty much throughout, uh, throughout Donbass. Now, from spring 2021, it's likely to see an increase in activity. And because of uh, improved weather conditions, there will likely be the additional feature of armour, artillery, and even anti-aircraft assets, and even the possibility of UAVs being thrown into, uh, being used in the region. So from spring 2021, what we're seeing at the moment with the ceasefire violations, chances are those ceasefire violations from spring are going to intensify with the use of additional weapon systems and with the use of anti-aircraft assets that we've spotted with the various withdrawal violations, chances are there's going to be uh, a significant threat to aircraft over the region. So it may be prudent to avoid using, uh, avoid traveling, uh, flying over that particular part of Ukraine. So there will also be the need for contingencies. With the threats that we're tracking at the moment and the assessed increase in tensions from spring 2021, 
people operating in the Donbass region or have it, or those who have an interest in the region will need to anticipate multiple threats uh, to uh, not just their people but to their operations. Essentially, any kind of operation in the region will ha- need to have various contingencies in order to plan for various threats such as UXOs, small arms fire and even communications issues from possible el- electronic jamming. Finally, increased security and vigilance. Now, this conflict will have effects not even, not just within the Donbass region, but also spread further, especially across, uh, across wider Ukraine. Places such as airports, border crossings and major cities are likely to feature increased activity and vigilance from security and law enforcement, which will therefore mean that entry, entry and exit into Ukraine, you can anticipate... Uh, inc- uh, anticipate the possibility of greater scrutiny towards uh, towards your interests in the region. That's all for the time being on the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Thanks very much. Here at Intelligence Fusion, we find, monitor, and analyze incidents across the world from a 24-7 operations center. We use the intelligence cycle and military principles to provide actionable insight into the global security landscape. To take a closer look at the data behind our assessment, or to see how your business could benefit from a tailored intelligence feed, click on the link in the podcast description.